Please join me in your Bibles uh, or in your bulletins in Joshua 1, 1 through 9. Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Please pray with me. God, we love you this morning. We thank you for the charge that you gave Joshua, and I ask that we would learn from it this morning. Be with Lockwood as he speaks. Please uh, just ask that your Holy Spirit would be here, uh, that you would give him strength and boldness, and that you'd give all of us humility, that we could learn from it, and that we could go out this morning closer to you, knowing you better. Jesus, we love you, and we pray all these things with so much gratitude, and in your name, amen. Thanks, Joel. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah? How's that? All right. There? There we go? All right, right on. Um, man, what an opportunity and what a responsibility uh, to have to be up here right now. Um, I never take this lightly, um, and I'm honored, I'm humbled. And um, I look forward to, to this. The opportunity to dig deeper in the world and the word to me is, is amazing. And, and um, this always challenges me a ton. And uh, I think it's been a while since I preached. It's been a couple of quarters, maybe six months. And so there's been a lot banging around inside here and here. And um, I'd love to share some of that with you this morning. Um, so thanks for the, the reading of Joshua 1. So I have to confess, initially, so I, I kind of have this obsession for, for reading about leadership, for studying historians and seeing what motivated them, uh, not historians, for figures throughout history that, that, and, and, and how they've been motivated. I love hearing like special forces stuff about how they're doing leadership in the military, and I love to challenge people that I'm around in, in some of those same aspects. And, and so when I first like read through Joshua, I'm like, okay, yes, this is going to be one of those leadership, let's drive and let's be strong and courageous and let's go get them. And then the Lord just kind of whacked me around a little bit and, um, I don't know, kind of regrounded me. In fact, I was talking to my brother this past week and uh, we were processing through some decisions to be made and, and he didn't like confront me uh, 
like upfront with it, but one of the things that he said was just the, the way that I, he inadvertently said this, but the way that I was processing through a, a, a bigger decision that we were trying to make it was I was, wasn't factoring in worldview. Um, and worldview gets back to, um, basically I have a little bit of a definition of what worldview is, but as a Christian, a Christian or a biblical world, worldview, it refers to the framework of ideas and beliefs through which a Christian or an individual or group our culture interprets the world and interacts with it. Therefore, as believers, um, you know, with the centrality of the gospel, understanding what Christ did on our behalf, we have a worldview in which we process everything. If you don't, you're left to self, and that's a, that's a big gaping hole. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to kind of talk about a couple different uh, people in history that um, kind of were born into a similar situation. However, they had different worldviews and kind of where that ended up. I'm talking about William Wilberforce and Thomas Jefferson. Um, but I kind of look at it like this. If I had a, sorry, I'm a visual person. I don't have a graph, so I'm going to do like a, I am, I am a, a Florida Gator, so I do like to do this kind of stuff. But um, so like biblical worldview guys start off and, you know, one, one is right here and, and a worldview right here. So they start off in a similar situation. However, the trajectories are totally different. And by the end of their life, there's a gaping hole. And just, just to talk about self, a lot of times when you start giving into self, the more and more and more you give into self, the deeper and deeper and deeper that hole gets. So as a biblical worldview, it's taking that off yourself and putting it on Christ and finding your identity through him. So that's kind of the centrality of the sermon this morning. However, I kind of wanted to confess that I've been really struggling with, uh, with factoring that worldview. And one of the things that I thought was awesome, and I've just had multiple people come up to me um, this week and just say I had a blast at the men's retreat or the men's uh, dinner on, on last Wednesday night. And Brian, I think you did a great job preparing. Uh, one of the, one of the um, couple of the verses I'm going to use kind of as an example of why worldview is so important. Um, we, we sung about this morning, bless the Lord, O my soul. And if you look at uh, Psalm 103, it says, oh my, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and Forget not all his benefits. That's what we talked about on Wednesday. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, whose steadfast love and mercy, uh, excuse me, who, excuse me, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your disease, diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. How often do we forget the benefits that we have in Christ? All the time. That's what worldview is. Biblical worldview. To continually be reminded. In fact, we went into Numbers 15, 37 through 41, which I'm not going to read out loud to you, but basically is Moses talking to the Israelites of putting a blue string on the tassel so that they would be reminded where they came from. They would be reminded of the journey that the Lord has taken them on. They would be reminded of the commandments. That They would be reminded of who they are and where their identity is. So often we forget that. And so my, in, in line with what's going on in our church right now, in line with what's happening in the women's and the men's Bible studies, in line with what's being preached in this church, I just want to kind of come alongside and see. And, and, and I couldn't go without this. The more I looked into Joshua, the more I saw this underlying biblical narrative taking place where we so often forget our identity. And if, if you read through and you retrace the, the, just the steps of the Israelites, they have some major identity issues, just like we do. Um, so... My prayer this morning, and, and I'll pray real quick. Um, Father God, Lord, I just I pray that, uh, Lord, the Holy Spirit lead a gospel reformation in our life that leads to transformation. Um, Lord, I pray that 
you give us edification and clarity on what biblical worldview is. I pray for a deeper understanding um, in our discipline approach to the Christian walk, Father God. And I also pray, Father God, that you lead us to a call to action through your word, through your son, through an understanding of your story and your narrative. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I actually wrote those down and I was reading them because I felt like it's so important. Um, and I, I wanted to make sure that these points that we talk about this morning, because there is a there is a ultimate call to action in it. And um, yes, we're going to get into some pragmatic application a little bit, but understanding the narrative altogether is ultimately going to be what motivates us to that call to action. Um, so this morning I'm going to talk about what I just kind of said a little bit, the biblical narrative. What is the text telling us in light of the big picture of the Bible? Um, what biblical principles and Joshua, is he teaching us about the Christian life? And uh, lastly, I'm going to talk a little bit about William Wilberforce and trace his life and kind of see how he was applied some of these principles and his worldview, which also led to a call to action. So, um, so it's funny. I woke up this morning. I just told uh, Lawrence Scott this. I woke up this morning with this dream about... Uh, I ran track in high school a little bit, and I just remember running around the track and being like, run, 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 stick, run, 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 stick. So when they're passing the baton, you know, you're just practicing that stick, right? Run, 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 stick. And so I'm thinking about Moses and Joshua, and so basically that's kind of what's happening in Joshua 1. He's finally passing the baton, or as Scott said, a big staff that might turn into a snake. But um, so, so I was digressing, but... Not only, so not only is that an important part of what's taking place in, 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 uh, in chapter one here, but there's a typological foreshadowing. Okay, let me unpack what I just said. Typology is basically Christ being told, pictures of Christ throughout the Old Testament. So there's a foreshadowing. Uh, for example, let's just take Isaac, uh, Abraham and Isaac. God told, promised Abraham that he was gonna, that his seed was gonna fill the earth, you know, um, and that, Christ would come through his seed, yet he could not have a child. Finally, he has a child with Sarah. That only child that he has, um, God calls him to go sacrifice his son. So he goes up onto the mount to sacrifice his son, kind of freaking out a little bit, and all of a sudden God provides a goat or a scapegoat in the bushes. So, that, so that's a typology. That's a foreshadowing of Christ, who's the ultimate lamb that will be sacrificed on our behalf. Same, it's the same type of thing what's going on here as we look at the Israelites coming out of the land of Egypt, coming through uh, the, the, the wilderness and into the promised land. Same type deal. So there's deeper things going on. And if you look at it, it's so the mysteries of the Bible, like, I mean, what's the scripture, actually? There's this cool scripture, a prayer that Paul, um, Paul has. In Colossians 1.26, he says, the mysteries hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. What he's referring to are, there's so many my, uh, mysteries in the Old Testament that are like foreshadowing of what is to come. And it's so beautiful. Like I had a, just epiphany this week, getting into it, I started really just, man, this is exciting stuff to teach on, this foreshadowing. I never really thought of it that way. And so it's throughout. It's just consistently throughout the Old Testament. So, so the gospel is taught throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. They're just looking forward to the coming of Christ, which is really cool. Uh, or at least I find it kind of cool. Um, so, so basically you have these major themes taking place. I'm going to give you a little context here. So, um, so you have Moses who is basically born, well, he's born in Egypt during the time of slavery where the Israelites were in slavery. Uh, so he's born in the Nile. The Pharaoh's daughter finds him. 
takes him into, into their house. Um, he's educated, the best education probably in the, in the world at that time in Egypt because it was kind of the center of the world in a lot of senses. Um, so then, then he basically grows up in the Pharaoh's house. He sees someone mistreating one of the slaves, so he murders them, uh, gets thrown out of Egypt, basically runs into the burning bush. God tells him that he wants to use him to emancipate his slaves. He's like, really, why me? Goes back into Egypt. I'm paraphrasing a ton, but I want to give you guys a little bit of context. Goes into the land of Egypt. Ten plagues go down, right? Crazy stuff, you know? Um, finally, Pharaoh lets them go and is like, get out of here. You guys are crazy. This is nuts. Your God is the real deal. They get out of it. The Pharaoh and his army chase them. They go through the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts. Then the Red Sea closes up on the Pharaoh and his army. And then they go into the wilderness for 40 years, in which while they're in the wilderness, the ten, the, they have the Ten Commandments. And now up until the point where they've been in the wilderness for 40 years, now Moses, who disobeyed God, cannot enter into the promised land. So that's kind of where, where's, what has happened. So there's a couple major, major themes or narratives taking place here. So you have slavery taking place. The, the Israelites are in slavery. They have been emancipated by God, essentially. Um, and now they're entering into the promised land. So promise or slavery, emancipation, promised land. Does that sound familiar, right? We were born into slavery. We're slaves to our sin. Um, we've been emancipated through Christ on the cross, and we are going into the promised land. You know, that's that typology I'm talking about there. Um, there's an, also a major theme going on too as well. So you have, so you have Moses as a mediator, Moses uh, as a mediator between God and his people who is bringing us the law, right? And then you have Christ to come as a mediator between Christ and his people who is bringing in the gospel. So you have this law and this gospel taking place. And it's very, very important because <clears throat> I, I kind of see the law a little bit, and I don't know if I'm theologically perfect in, in, in using this uh, metaphor, but I kind of see the law in the sense as it's like a finish line in the sense that you don't know where you're going to finish unless there's a, a line there. And the law is kind of like that. There would be no gospel without the law. The, lo the law had to be brought us to it to reveal our sin, to reveal our need. So when we look at the law, we realize that we cannot, we cannot live accordingly perfectly to the law. We are sinners. That's the one thing that we all have co in common right now in this church, that we're all sinners. We're coming together to get, to get together to talk about the covenant that God's given us so that when he sees us, he doesn't see us in our sin. He sees his son because we're covered under the covenant. So you have the Mosaic law that gets brought down. You have Mosaic, uh, or excuse me, you have Moses as the mediator between God um, and his people. Uh, and then you have uh, Jesus who ultimately comes and is the ultimate mediator to bring into the new covenant. You guys following me there? Okay. Um, sorry. Let's see here. And one of the things also I want to paint a little bit of a picture, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this up with Hebrews 11 here in a second. So if you want to pop that up on the screen, Hebrews 11, 13. But throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, we have these heroes of the faith, if we want to call them that. Um, in Hebrews 11, it kind of unpacks that. And so oftentimes, we, we look at these hero, her, heroes of the faith, and you all see that they're kind of tragic heroes in the sense that they all have some flaw. I mean, look at David. Um, yeah, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. Um, at the end of at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, God talks about how he knew Moses face to face. Yet these, all these heroes of the faith were with flaw. Therefore, they're pointing towards that future king and Christ to come. So, and, and it says this in, in verse 13, 11, 13. It says, 
And he's, when it says these all died in faith, it's referring to those heroes of the faith, uh, you know, the, that I was speaking of, uh, Abel, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel, all these types of people. In verse 10, uh, Hebrews eleven thirteen, it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. Sounds like kind of the language of Narnia a little bit, the better country, Narnia. Um, but that, as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So essentially, Jesus came and died on the cross to prepare for us a city, a new city, um, the promised land, the ultimate promised land. So God had to, because Moses established a law, Christ had to come to this earth to fulfill the law perfectly and establish for us a new covenant. And what's even cool is Joshua's name um, means in Hebrew is Jesus, essentially. So you have Moses who brought it as far as he could, <clears throat> given that he's flawed and a disobedient person, a sinful person. He brought it as far as he could, but only person that could take us into the promised land had to be Jesus. And just, just as I'm kind of saying again, as a uh, foreshadowing, Joshua's name means Jesus. Not a coincidence. Uh, really cool stuff. So let's, let's take a look at the text here. So if you pull out your iPhones, you can... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I got my Bible, Brian. You're proud of me here. Uh, so verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. So I kind of want to read this text like, as this is God talking to us right now. And what he's saying here, too, along with what he's telling Joshua is, is um, in Romans 8 through 11, it talks about sonship. What is that? What is sonship? Well, basically, we are sons and co-heirs with Christ. Well, what does that mean? And it's just like we are, we are uh, talking about in Psalm 103. It comes with all those benefits, right? Sons and co-heirs. So ultimately, we should be deriving our identity as sons and co-heirs with Christ. Like, if we really unpack what that means, that's the best news we could ever fathom. We're sons and co-heirs. We have nothing. We have complete favor with Christ. Um, so we've, they've just come out, remember, the land of slavery. They've been emancipated. Now they're going to the promised land. So as they go into the promised land, they have to remember, as a prom- going in the promised land, take possession. You are sons and co-heirs with Christ. I have already gone before you. Verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous. 
How, oft, how many times do, do we lose who we are in our identity with Christ? We don't ultimately lose it, lose it if we're saved because we're ultimately justified, but how often times do we forget who we are in Christ? That's what he's saying. Be strong and courageous. Step forward. Take the land that I've given you. Um, and in verse 7, or verse, halfway through verse 7, it gets into saying, okay, how can you do this? How can you continue to remind yourself, just like the tassel, how can you do this to remind yourself that, to be strong and courageous and step forward in faith knowing that I've gone before you? So being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all, this, all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So now he's saying, okay, so how do you consistently remind yourself of who you are and your identity? How do you consistently do that? Well, you have to meditate and Meditate on the word. Read the word. Um, this is not rocket science. You know, if you want to have a relationship with someone, you have to speak with them, right? You want to invest in conversation with them. So he's just saying, hey, I've already gone before you. I'm just asking that you continually remember this so that you can walk in confidence and in your identity. I know I'm being redundant here, but it's really important of who I am. Um, verse 10. So then... So then there's a call to action, right? So what happens if we're truly remembering who we are in our identity, if we're truly walking with the Lord in relationship and in communion with him, should there not be a call to action? Martin Luther says um, you're saved by faith through, saved by grace through faith alone, but the saving grace that saved, like, truly saves you is never alone. It comes with works. There's a call to action, fruits. It's funny, I was looking at that tree this morning. I really... I never see that tree, but all of a sudden I just see those fruits appear, and every year we think that thing's going to die. It's crazy. Um, that has nothing to do with the sermon. Uh, but, but there's a call to action. There, there are fruits that should happen. And, so, and that's, that's a testament to see, hey, if, if there's not fruits coming out, and, and what those look like are love, you know, and the way that we treat people, the what we do, whether it's whatever, serving other people, serving our community, volunteering, we're called to work. We're called to do all these things. If we're not seeing fruits in our life, then I, I sincerely question that you get the gospel and why Christ died. Because if you truly understand who you are in him and you're walking in relationship with him, there is going to be a call to action. And so Moses said, uh, or excuse me, and Joshua says in verse 10, and Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go and take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. Verse 12, And to the Reubenites, the Gadnites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place to rest and will give you this land. And skipping back all the way down to the end of this chapter, it says one more time, Only be strong and courageous. So what does our battle look like? What is keeping us from continuing to remember who we are through Christ, where our identity is? Um, in Romans 8, it talks a lot about not to fall back into slavery. 
It talks about Numbers 15, 37 through 41. It talks about whoredom. We become whores to ourselves. oftentimes. We become um, slaves to ourselves. In, in Deuteronomy 32, Moses writes this song, which I had to think Moses had a little personality when he writes this song. I'm not going to read the song. It's really long, but you should read it. But he just talks about kind of like the stubborn Israelites. And imagine how, that's, how God views us in the wilderness, like bumping around, wandering around. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm leading them fi- by fire by night and a cloud by the day. I'm feeding them manna and quail. Like, why are these... St- why are they being so stubborn and, and building idols? And, and, and why, 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 why? And, you know, that is our default nature, is to look into self. The culture that we live in tells us, in yourself, follow your heart, those are the answers. In fact, Deuteronomy, uh, um, Numbers 15, and like I think verse 39 or 40, tells us the opposite. Don't follow your heart, because it's wicked. It's wicked. If we follow every single selfish notion that we have, it's a deep, dark hole. It's just like I said at the beginning when I was comparing worldviews. If you continue to follow self, it perpetuates a cycle and it gets us to a very immoral situation. Um, and ultimately, Christ died and fulfilled that and filled that gap, that gaping hole. But we have to continue to walk in our identity um, and not forget the promises that we have through Christ. So I want to kind of end this by talking a little bit about um, a journey that I feel like the Lord's taken me on. Um, and one of the things I've, I really enjoy studying uh, people through history, like I said, and kind of understanding the, the larger n- narrative, just kind of like when you read the Bible, you have to understand kind of what the biblical narrative is in order before you jump into one verse and try to like decipher what's saying in one verse. You've got to understand the complete narrative, just how I kind of talked a little bit about the context of the Israelites. Um, and so one of the things I've been, I've been into, we were at, at Monticello in Virginia visiting Thomas Jefferson's house a couple weeks ago. And, and I, I'd read about Thomas Jefferson a little bit, but I didn't really understand a lot about him. And <clears throat> honestly, I left very, very sad. Um, I, there's kind of, I mean, it, maybe a lot of it has to do with slavery. Um, maybe it has to do with his loneliness. He was a deist. Um, he believed he was a product of the Enlightenment, so he, he ultimately kind of fell back. Instead of the sovereignty of God, it fell back to the sovereignty of man um, and, their, and man's capability to solve. Uh, and I don't know. It's, to me, it was just kind of a sad situation if you look how lonely he was when his life ended. And out of like all the, you know, a lot of the founding fathers and the first presidents, he was one of the few that actually didn't um, for emancipated slaves, which was interesting as well, for whatever reasons. Um, and there's a lot of dynamics going on there. I'm not going to begin to try to un- un- unpack those dynamics, but it just got me thinking of worldview. Um, and then you compare him to someone like a William Wilberforce, who basically was born around the same time Thomas Jefferson was um, in England, and who was raised in a very privileged uh, situation, was highly educated, went to Cambridge. I think um, uh, Jefferson went to William and Mary, and kind of came to power as a young young adult. Uh, when prior to Wilberforce coming to power, when I say come to power, become became a uh, influential person. Prior to him becoming an influ- uh, influential person, uh, his his mom sent him off to live with his aunt and uncle who which she did not know, uh, were actually Methodists at that time. So they were heavily influenced by John Wesley, um, 
and John Newton and some of the people that were founding fathers of the Methodist Church. Uh, John Newton, as you probably all remember, was the person that wrote Amazing Grace, who was the slave trader. So you can just imagine, imagine being a slave trader and seeing all that go down, seeing the atrocities. I can't even begin to fathom that. Um, and then having the Lord just absolutely kind of ravage and wreck your life and being reconciled to him and then writing Amazing Grace. I mean, that alone itself is an amazing sermon. Um, but that was one of the, 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 the people that was speaking into to Wilberforce's life. And in fact, um, so, so Wilberforce's uh, family kind of finds out that, that they're, they're these Methodist people and they were not um, Christians. And so they're like, hey, get back home. This is not that when I wanted to educate you, and wanted to provide all this stuff. This is not who I wanted you. I don't want you to become a preacher. I don't want you to become all this stuff. I, I need you. So they plug him back into kind of those social circles where he becomes very fluent again and rises to the top. One of his best friends when graduating from Cambridge was William Pitt. William Pitt, at the age of 25, became the prime minister of England, one of the youngest people ever to become the prime minister. So they, they were young and up-and-coming people that were very influential. They got elected and had a seat in the House of Lords. Um, and at a young age, we're, 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 you know, so at one point, so in that time period, uh, Wilberforce was going to go out to France on vacation with his mom. And uh, he was trying to figure out, hey, man, it's a long drive. I want to have someone that's, that's going to intellectually stimulate me. Who can I get to come with me? And so he ends up getting this, this I can't remember the guy's name, but uh, a, a pretty affluent businessman who he had no idea was, once again, a believer or he was a Methodist, I believe, and, and without knowing it, he ends up entering into conversation the entire ride to France, uh, which I imagine takes quite a long time. So you can imagine they got into it pretty good. So the Lord um, kind of allowed that to happen. So anyway, he comes back around to, to know the Lord and just flips it back in and, and goes and, and gets back in touch with John Newton. And John Newton tells him, he's like, man, he's like, he had a quote prior to, to Newton coming back to the Lord and said, this, this is one of the, the most um, talented people that I've seen uh, not be allowed to use his gifts for the Lord and use it the opposite way. But sure enough, the Lord got a hold of him and brought him back. And so John Newton said to him, and talk about vocation if we wanted to have that discussion too. Because um, Wilberforce is like, well, what do I do in light of, of, of understanding who I am and my identity in Christ and what this really means? You know, what does this compel me to do? Because there is a call to action when you really get you know, who the Lord is and what that means for us in our culture and our society. What do we do? And I, I mean, I, I find that question all the time. Like, what do I do now? You know, if I really believe what's in this word, like if I truly believe it, what, there's got to be a call to action. So Newton tells him, hey, look, continue on with your vocation in politics. God is going to completely use you there. So Wilberforce made it his goal to do two things. Um, abolish slavery, the slave trade, uh, which, and... Um, the Reformation of Manners, which it's not manners, but we think no, they need to learn how to properly hold their pinky up when they drink tea. Uh, no, manners meaning it's, it's dealing with moral issues. At that time in London, 25% of the females that were in London were prostitutes. It was an incredibly sinful place at that time. And so, you know, uh, Wilberforce had been a part of these very influential clubs, and he's going around seeing all this prostitution taking place with all these political figures, seeing all the immoral acts. And he's like, no, God called him to reform that. Um, so he sets out the rest of his life in, in doing that. And one of the things that I think is incredibly unique, and this is, gets back to the importance of community, 
is there's a group called the Claffin Sect where they all lived and did community church together. And he was surrounded by a group of people that all had all different, um, that were lawyers, that were doctors, that were pastors, that were ev everything, businessmen, politicians. And they all encouraged, in fact, there's this one quote that I read, it's like the conversation never, like it was always ongoing about encouraging each other and challenging each other with what's, what's, what's taking place. So he has this community around him that he is living in and constantly challenging and constantly supporting him. And, you know, I feel really blessed to, that we, we do have, the, I mean, the men's group this last Wednesday night, I felt like there was a community of challenging each other a little bit, of talking about how we can live, how we can support, what accountability looks like. So there's a massive, um, you know, that, that, that was a massive influential role in Wilberforce's life. So ultimately, as you probably know, towards the end of his career, he was on his deathbed and slavery, slavery was abolished. Um, and, um, and, and Wilberforce did a lot of other humanitarian things. He was actually one of the leading advocates for, um, for animals and animal rights as well. So um, there's a lot of different things that he did. He, he, he kind of made, uh, made it sexy to be humanitarian, um, which I feel like it's kind of like that in today's age a little bit. Um, but he confronted issues that, I mean, slavery at that point, you just didn't talk about. If we wanted to unpack really kind of what he was, who he was picking a fight with, I mean, you know, the, the England was on an island, I mean, they're an island, and their entire, um, their entire economy was based around a lot of the slaves and the stuff that's importing and exporting. So this was a massive, a massive thing that the Lord did in his life. Uh, and so I guess at the end of the day, like, I'm, I don't want to, like, go into Jefferson and hammer him too much because he did some amazing things for our, our country and the Lord using his sovereignty is perfect. At the same time, I do see, and as you look at the end of their lives, like, Wilberforce was able to die in community. On, and on his tombstone, he just said, you know, something along the lines of, uh, forgive me, God, I was a sinner. You know, by the grace of God, I lived. You know, you look at Jefferson was so, so um, um, intentional about making sure that, hey, on my declaration, you know, author of Declaration of Independence, um, you know, um, uh, you know, founder of the University of Virginia. Like, he was very important in passing along his legacy. And then you see someone that had a worldview and his legacy is Christ. It's a total different, total different deer. And I, I just, I challenge you, I challenge myself, let our legacy be Christ. You know, why not? If, if not, where does that leave us? It leaves us ourself. It leaves us continuing to try to figure things out, looking deeper into ourselves, and it ultimately leads, leads to a bigger and bigger black hole. Um, you see it happening in culture today. What, where does it stop? So, um, so I, I leave you. Mm, I wanted to leave with a couple asks, um, and and I have two asks. So, if you have never, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, if you have never been emancipated, um, I want to call you to 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 think seriously about that. This morning we're going to have, during worship, we'll have some people that will be down here that are willing to pray with you. Um, don't continue living for self. It's going to get you nowhere. You'll find zero fulfillment. I promise you. Um, if you have been emancipated, um, don't fall back into slavery this morning. God has gone before us, just like he says in Joshua. Go take the land. I've already gone before you. You have everything. Go take it. Step forward in faith. Be confident in who you are in Christ. Because our promised land's in heaven.
you know? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for who you are. Uh, We thank you for emancipating us out of slavery, for dying on the cross for our sins so that we have in you. Um, Father, I just pray that whatever we're going through right now, wherever we are in this point of life, Father God, that we can just rest in you. We can rest in the peace that you've given us through your Son, um, Father. And, and, and then just, Father, that we can have, Lord, that we, we are reminded of our identity, that we, we are called to meditate on your Word, that we can do life in a community and not be scared to be vulnerable, Father God. And then ultimately, you lead us to a call to action, Father, to continue to advance your kingdom, to glorify you in all things that we do. In your Son's Jesus' name I pray, amen.